High schoolers have Sunday school. There is no mechanical bull. We are in Mark chapter 5 this week. Mark chapter 5. I've been through two pairs of readers already the past two days, so these ones aren't the most stylish, <laughs> but we'll have to make do. I tried actually reading the Bible in the first service without my readers. It was disastrous. Some people were saying heresy, things like that, but we moved past it. I got some readers. We're good. So Mark chapter 5. Let's read the first 20 verses and then we're going to pray. Verse 1, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Then those who fed the, the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been there, the demon-possessed and had the legion sitting. Let me read that again. I got a little uh, mixed up there. Okay. So then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from the region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and, and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. We just uh, look to you, Lord Jesus, the Lord of the word, to understand your word that you've given us. And we just pray, Lord, that you would open our spiritual eyes, Lord, that we could see, Lord, what you want to show us. And we pray, Lord, this morning as well, that your word, as we learned about uh, soil last week, Lord, that your word would find good soil in our hearts and it would produce much fruit, a hundredfold, Lord. And we just thank you for today. We thank you for the snow. Thank you for everyone that's here and everyone that's watching online, Lord. I pray blessings on all of them. And in your name we pray, amen. So I titled this, What Do We Ask of Jesus? I don't know about you guys, but we've been watching some of the Olympics 
Um, there were some people, apparently there's some political stuff going on around it, but I don't pay attention to the news any longer. All I know is we watch snowboard racing. And if you haven't seen snowboard racing, like my whole family was watching these guys. It's four guys going down this hill with bumps and turns at very fast pace. You know, they're, they're cruising on snowboards. It's very exciting. And um, so we were getting into the snowboarding. And uh, the American girl won the gold. Um, these people, when they go in the half pipe, the half pipe's 20-some feet high, and then they go 20-some feet past that. It's almost like they're being raptured for a minute, and then they come back down. <laughs> and um, I think about me even getting on one of those things, and then my knees hurt. But anyway, after the kids go to bed, occasionally I like to go to my Discovery Plus um, app or whatever it is on my Apple TV, and I like to watch my, my favorite show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. I love that show for some reason. I'm, on, I'm through it a couple times. I'm back to like season 10. There's like 100 seasons, and um, this guy goes and eats all kinds of good food, and I'm thinking to myself, why don't we have anything like that around here? A burger that's like the size of your head. And apparently there is somewhere, there's a Gales Ferry, you can get a burger that's like two pounds. Um, but not that I, listen, we can go after church and we can try that. But anyway, as I go to that app, at the top of the screen, I digress, I'm sorry. At the top of the screen, it's loaded with supernatural show selections. Like, it's creepy to the point where I don't want my kids, you know, going to Discovery Plus to watch uh, The Crocodile Hunter unless I go to it for them because there's so much of that supernatural stuff out there. Ghost hunters and, and stuff like that. And it's all these people dealing with ghosts of dead people and they're in houses in specific areas where there's a lot of uh, extraterrestrial activity like Ghostbusters. Remember Ghostbusters? And they had the who are you going to call? You remember that? It's Joe sings Christian songs. I just sang Ghostbusters. That's lovely. But, but it seems to me that these people that are doing this, it, it's like a game and they really have no grasp of what the real spiritual world is. They really don't have a firm understanding on it. Uh, maybe you guys have had stories. I've heard some stories uh, in my life about supernatural activities, about people dealing with demonic um, possession. Um, there was a church in Brazil who a gentleman that we were friends with used to go to, and he came to our house, and he, uh, this was years ago, and he brought something called the VHS. <laughs> that might be supernatural to some of you young children here. It's like a, I said a DVD, and then Tim said, what's a DVD? I said, thanks, Tim. It's like an iTunes movie but it's big and you had to rewind it. That's where Be Kind Rewind came from, maybe. But it was a VHS that somebody had taken of his church service. And down in, in Brazil, they really get into the church service. I mean, they're dancing, they're singing, um, they're praising the Lord. And in this video, this woman comes in the back and she's got a voice that's deeper than a man's voice. And it's really creepy. And that was back before you could do anything with videos. And that gentleman turned the video camera away and turned it off. And the guy that was at our house telling us about this said that that happens quite often down there. People are demon-possessed, and they'll just show up at churches, and they have to get delivered. There was a story I heard from a missionary at my old church also when I was a child, and this woman had come back from the mission field, and she was visiting a friend, and there was some crying coming from her, her closet. And it was because this woman had been messing around with that Luigi board. Or, if your name's Luigi, I'm sorry. Luigi. How, do you, how do you guys know that? Are you guys Christians in here? Come on, I'm just kidding. 
So I did say Luigi, I apologize. If your name's Luigi, I'm, I'm sorry. But she was messing around with this board and she had stopped playing with it and it was in the closet and this thing was crying out to her. So the missionary had to then deal with that demonic issue. There was a story that happened to me. I just got saved and I turned from quite a bit of sin when I gave my life to the Lord. And I remember being in my bed one night and there was a figure standing next to my bed and I was pretty afraid. And I can remember rebuking it in the name of Jesus because that's the only thing I knew. I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And then I woke up and I was like, hey, what's, what's happening here? Then my brother and my mother who were in the house at the time said, you're rebuking something in the name of Jesus. So later on, uh, the next day, we went and looked underneath my bed because somebody said, maybe you have something there that it could hold on to. And I, I found this CD that I had and it had like uh, demonic pictures on it and it had all kinds of satanic things on it. And it wasn't marketed as that but that's what was on this. So note to you parents with children, look, look at what your children are listening to or, or what they're watching because that stuff slips right in there. And I got rid of that and I dealt with it. Funny little story last night after church, after I taught this lesson, a woman came up to me and said, that's crazy that you talked about this. She used to do the tarot card reading and she was in the middle of one of those readings. She was a, a psychic, a legit, like, not legitimate because she even admitted that it was fake. She was in the middle of it, and this truth dawned on her that she was sinning. And she said to the guy that she was reading the cards for, she said, do you want me to tell you the truth? He said, yeah, I can take it, thinking it was going to be something about his future. And she said, you need to repent, and so do I, and we need to start serving the Lord. That's nuts. In the middle of one of those sessions, the Lord convicted that lady, and she shared that story last night. And then I ate lasagna and chicken parmesan, and I woke up this morning and my eyes were swollen because of the sodium. Anyway, <laughs> the Saturday night service, let me tell you, it was a smorgasbord. There was food galore. Whew. And if you like darkness, drivings, and dives, you'll like Saturday night service. So this chapter begins with a story. Come on, reel it in, reel it in. It begins with the story of Jesus' encounter with a demon-possessed man. Uh, demon possession is a real thing. Those stories that we're telling, th those were real. Those, those weren't fabricated. Those things really happened. Um, but you know something? Let's look at how Jesus deals with this masterfully. He deals with it masterfully. He deals with it like only Jesus could deal with it. See, because at the end of chapter 4, we saw Jesus in a boat. We didn't make it to it last week, but if you read through the whole chapter, the last part of the chapter... It's titled, The Winds and the Waves Obey Jesus. The, uh, a storm pops up as they're in a boat. They're five miles from the shore that they land on. Jesus said, let's hop in the boat, go to the other side. A storm comes up, and Jesus silences this storm on the Sea of Galilee. See, this storm, though, when it arose, it started beating on the boat. Water started coming in. It was beating against the boat. It was so bad that the disciples thought that they were going to die. They're like, we're perishing, and this guy's sleeping. Which is funny because some of these guys were hardened fishermen. Some of these guys had dealt with storms a lot. This was not a big deal to them. But this storm, for some reason, seems really bad. But while the storm was at its worst, Jesus was asleep in the boat. While the storm was raging, Jesus was taking a quick five-minute nap. My brother-in-law wrote to me in this note before he died a few years ago. My brother-in-law passed away, and I read it at his um, memorial service. And he wrote in this note, he said, Aaron, remember it was Jesus that was sleeping in the storm. And it dawned on me as I'm going through this today that Jesus was asleep because he knew the words and the promises of God. 
you know, some have said he could have been thinking of this specific verse in Psalms, Psalms 4, verse 8, for you guys that take notes. It says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. See, Jesus had confidence in his Father even while the storm was raging. Jesus could sleep because of the trust he had in the Lord that they were going to get to the other side like he said. And this is so important for us to grab a hold of because we all go through storms. We all go through hard times in our life. No matter what people say, there are things that come and, and drive us nuts and scare us or whatever, some kind of storm. And, you know, we need to see our Savior in the storm. He calmed the storm. Peace be still. But then he corrects the disciples' hearts in the end of chapter 4, verse 40. He says, but he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? That's pretty harsh, it sounds like. But he had already said before they left, let's go over to the other side. See, he was dealing with the faithlessness in their hearts. It's not the outward that we necessarily need to fear. The example I used in the first service is, um, when I deliver mail and I'm walking up to somebody's house and they open the door and two full-grown dogs are running at you full speed and the people are looking out the door, they don't bite, they don't bite. Uh, if you've heard that as much as me, um, they do bite, not the owners, but they will bite a bearded man coming up to the house. But it's scary. Your heart drops. You're like, oh, my goodness. Uh, and um, if you're one of those people, just leave the dog in the house. The mailman will leave. And contractually, he's not supposed to be feeding your dog anyway. There's all kinds of videos online. They're like, oh, look at the mailman, loves my dog. And I'm like, oh, that's a contractual issue. They can't feed the dog. But anyway, I have a little post-traumatic stress because so many dogs. But it's, regardless, I, I digress. But it's the storms of fear that are at times in our hearts that we need to deal with. Not these outward things, not these things like dogs or, or what regular storms, three inches of snow coming to church and that. See, Jesus gave his word, and that should be enough. There are times where we question how we're going to get through circumstances because like you, I, I have too, we've been in circumstances that don't, doesn't seem like we're going to get out of them. And what I find is the worst is when you're laying in bed at nighttime and you're just sitting there dwelling on these things. They get so huge. I would recommend just getting out of bed and washing your face and then reminding yourself of the promises of God because then it will bring your problems back into, back into light. And of the scriptures, it says, Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So whatever you're going through, it's going to work together for good for you who are called according to his purpose. And I like this one in Philippians 4, verses 12 through 13, because finances are a big thing nowadays. In America here, we are just focused on finances. I remember going to Haiti. Me and my wife went after the um, uh, earthquake down there. And uh, we walked off the airplane. The first thing I said is, how did you talk me into this? It was like one of the scariest things in my life because Haiti was just in disarray. But I remember talking to a gentleman. It, it, it'll change your life. If you've ever gone to a third world country, it gives you a little perspective. Um, but I remember talking to this guy, and he looked at me. He said, you in the United States are at 10% unemployment right now, and it's a national disaster. He said, we're at like 80% unemployment. And that's why this verse really rings true to us and this is Paul talking about his way of life. I know how to, to be abased, and I know how to abound. He's like, I know how to have little, and I know how to have a lot. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
So finances is something you're dealing with this morning. Just give it to the Lord. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And these promises are for all of us. So we see Jesus in the midst of the storm. He calms the storm. He corrects the disciples. He gave them his word. And he also has given us his word. And these promises will keep us at peace when we embrace these scriptures. When we get into these scriptures and we're reading God's promises, it's easy to push them aside, but there are times where God's promises... I'll tell you, if you ask God, God, what promise do you have for me today? He's going to reveal it in his word to you. But besides his promises, I want to look at three areas in this scripture that this scripture points out regarding Jesus. It points out Jesus' word, it points out his authority... And it points out his charge, his charge being his commission or call on our lives. So Jesus' word starts in verse 1 here. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. They came to the other side. Jesus' word comes to pass. He said to the disciples, Let's go to the other side. There was a storm. They're like, We're going to die. I probably would have been the first one on the boat yelling and screaming, we're going to die, we're going to die. If you've ever seen me on a roller coaster, apparently they're safe. No. I'm yelling, we're going to die. So, like, I'm not, I'm not harshly judging the disciples here because I would have been, like, crying probably. I've been weeping. I'm a major weeper. But Jesus was then greeted by a man who was possessed by demons, it says. And when he came off the boat, immediately, like Jesus didn't even get a chance to have like some fish and some bread or anything like that. Immediately, this guy shows up who was possessed by many demons, and they were tormenting the man. Uh, we have no clue how this happened, but he was demonized. It says here, it says, uh, he was dwelling amongst the tombs. He, they couldn't bind him. He had been bound, but he was breaking the chain. So there was some strength going on there, some extra spiritual strength. And the, the shackles were broken into pieces. No one could tame him. Night and day, he's running around. He's cutting himself with stones. This guy was having some serious issues. He was demon-possessed. And this is what Satan will do to a man or a woman. He will destroy that person. This guy was living in tombs. He was cutting his body. He was screaming. He had no self-control. Seems like when we turn on television, there are many people like that on television. And we watch it and love it. <laughs> Not me. I'm spiritual. <clears throat> but this man was screaming, no self-control. He was robbed of his sanity, but he was also robbed of his family and friends. He was all by himself. This man was tormented, and Satan wanted this man to go to hell because he's a destroyer and he's a murderer. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant. I messed up that word in the first service, and there was somebody in the front row that was, she must have been an English teacher, because she corrected me right away. I said, gee, sorry, take it easy. Be vigilant. I said vigilant or something. I don't know what I said. It's on the video. You can watch all my mistakes from the first service, probably when it goes up online. But it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. He wants us to go to hell. He wants to torment us. He wants to bring us down. He hates us. And he comes across as an angel of light. He comes across like, hey, look at me. I'm the best. This is fun. You're going to love this. Because sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. And he gets us in. But then he shows his disgustingness and begins to destroy. Isn't that funny how our culture does that? We push all these things on TV. and I like TV, so I'm not saying all TV is bad. But like you... When commercials come on when we're watching the Olympics, I have to, like, shield my kids' eyes because some of the stuff is, 
it's horrible. And they push all these things, and they're like, hey, do this, it'll be great. But then when people start doing it, and they get addicted to it, or they can't get away from it, then they're ostracized. They're like, oh, I can't believe you do that stuff. It's kind of odd how, how Satan works. But he shows his disgustingness. He begins to destroy. I'm not sure if we see much of this un, undisguised in our society today, but it's starting to become more and more. But society was also playing a role here, as does ours. It says to get rid of that person. It says that he was, uh, they put him in the tombs. You know, they, they pushed him away. They got him out of the cities and the towns. They got rid of him. They like to get rid of people. When a person is being demonized, society will put chains on them. Luke 8 says uh, in this that there was a guard about this same story. It says there was a guard staying with him. Probably not to fight him because this guy had some super strength, but probably to go warn people or to, to make sure that he was staying where he was supposed to stay. And he was isolated. You know, they were probably maybe trying to bring about change. Maybe they said, well, if we put him out in the tombs for a while, he'll relax a little bit. You know, we see that in our society today. People are, not everybody, but there are people in hospitals and people that are incarcerated that probably are being demonized. You know, we put them in, uh, we put them in programs. You know, we try to isolate them, maybe to bring about change. But there was no change that was going to happen. Society was trying to change, but can't bring any change. You know, the, the rates for people when they go to prison and come out and then go back in again are huge. These changes society try. Now, don't get me wrong. I like counseling. I believe everybody needs counseling. But some nice Christian counseling or this kind of counseling I want to talk about next because then through the storm from across the sea, I can just see this picture of Jesus coming through the storm on the boat. Here comes the Savior. He had a divine appointment with this guy. He has a divine appointment with everyone here. And we'll see what the Savior does with this man. See, Jesus comes to this guy. And he knows that immediately when he gets off the boat. Maybe that's why he was napping. He was resting up because he's saying, when I get off that boat, that guy's coming out. And I'm going to have to deal with him. This demon-possessed man saw Jesus coming and it says... He cried out, uh, in verse 6, he says, When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. See, the demon-possessed man saw Jesus coming, and he worshipped. But this doesn't speak of a heart expression. This doesn't speak of what we just did uh, a few minutes ago when we're singing majesty or God you are so good to me where we're giving the Lord all our praise and we're thanking him for what he's done for us this is more of an homage or a public acknowledgement it's not affection but it was an intellectual realization and I will confess as I did in the first service that intellectual realization I got from Google it's not my own James 2.19 says you believe that there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. See, they knew they were in the presence of God's Son. They knew that Jesus was the real deal, and this was Jesus' plan to see and deliver, and he also wanted to save this tormented man. The storm, though, I brought it up because it could have been Satan's attempt to stop Jesus. It was a big storm. It scared these fishermen. They probably had not seen anything like it. And the same words Jesus used for the storm, he also uses for demons later on in the Gospels, it's peace be still. 
This also means be muzzled. I used to have a dog that he was fine, but when you'd bring him to the vet, he turned like he was nasty. They had a star on his sheet that said double muzzle. He was double muzzle. There's Addison. Um, that's what Jesus was saying. Be muzzled, be quiet, peace be still. So it could have been a spiritual storm. Jesus went to this man, though, and he liberated him. And he didn't look down on this man, this man whose name was one who was demon-possessed. He didn't send him away, as our society does, isolate him. Jesus didn't do that. What did he do? He delivers the man, and he does it by his word. We engage in spiritual warfare by using the word. The word is powerful. I would suggest not engaging in spiritual warfare without the word. Hebrews 4.12 is the verse many of us know. The word is powerful, but it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, the prince of preachers, he was asked, how do you defend the Bible? And he said, defend the Bible? I'd sooner defend a lion. You don't defend the Bible. You open its cage and let it roar. You don't have to defend the Bible. When we're trying to bring Jesus to people for them to be freed, the storms are going to start coming. The enemy will begin to attack, but people need to be saved. They need to be born again. And it's the word of the Lord that's going to free people. We can share the word, and it will bring deliverance as it did with this man. And this is what's going to bring change to the world today. Society is not going to change the man. You know, all these programs that society has, they might help for a minute, they might be a Band-Aid, but it's not going to bring change. It's the Savior that's going to bring change. It's Jesus. Jesus brought change here in this situation. Then guess what? The society comes out, and what do they say? And we'll get into it a little bit more, but they said, hey, can you get out of here? They implored him to leave. They asked Jesus to leave. And they did this because they were upset about their pigs. They were upset about their pigs, but we'll get to that. But that's the word of Jesus, Jesus' word, and then we're going to look at his authority in verse 9. It says, then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered him, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. He asked the man his name, which is strange. I remember when I first got saved and I had that issue with the, the CD or the, the old school Apple, iTunes, whatever. When I had that issue, I started getting books looking into this. And I started seeing that people had like ways of doing things and I got really into it. And, you know, I was like, oh, when you first do this, you've got to ask names. And when you first do this, you've got to ask you got to do this, and then you have to do this. And there was like a, a method to it. But Jesus goes and asks the man his, his name, and the demons answered, and they say their name's Legion. And a legion's a group of soldiers that numbers in about 6,000. So in the Roman soldiers, there was legions, there was about 6,000. So it seems this guy was loaded with demons. Seems he had quite a bit. We don't know what he did, but whatever he did, he did it a lot, or it was really bad. But sin is sin. But see, Satan can't be everywhere. So many times we give the guy too much credit, but he can't be everywhere. He's not omnipresent. He has his evil demonic spirits carrying out his deeds. In the Old Testament, it says that when he was kicked out of heaven, a third of the angels went with him. These are his henchmen. They're carrying out 
his evil deeds, his plans to try to destroy us and try to bring people to hell. And as we know, they were destroying this man. So why would Jesus ask the name? And that's why I brought up those books that I used to look into because the Jews also had something very similar to this. They had an order of doing things when it came to delivering people from evil spirits. I don't know if you guys watched that show, The Chosen. I, I tried, I brought it up too much in the last service, so this will be the only time this service. But there's a time where Nicodemus has to go uh, deal with Mary. She's demon-possessed, and he's got his rituals that he's got to do. And it didn't do anything. Until she came in contact with the Savior, she wasn't delivered. So they had an order of doing things when it came to delivering people from evil spirits. And some churches in our day and age also have the same ideas about this, like these books that I got. But you know something? Jesus didn't give in to this superstition. They might have thought the demons had the upper hand because they knew Jesus' name. Apparently, if uh, whoever, whoever sh struck first in demon possessions at this time, they had the upper hand, whoever knew the name first. So the demons came out, knew Jesus' name, and the apostles were probably like, oh, they knew Jesus' name. Jesus is in trouble. But he didn't give in to this superstition. Jesus' power is greater than that. 1 John 4, 4, it says, You are of God, little children. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So when we're in spiritual warfare, we shouldn't be fooled by silly superstition. Jesus was not fooled by silly superstition. And you know what he said? Come out of that man, unclean spirit. And it didn't matter to the demons because they had to do whatever Jesus told them to do. They had to do whatever Jesus said. And the man is delivered and the demons go to the pigs. But Jesus didn't send them there. It says uh, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission, then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine, and then the swines drowned. They had to do whatever Jesus said. They couldn't even go into the pigs without permission from Jesus. Luke 8.31, which is another uh, view of this story, it says, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. So they didn't want to be inactive. They wanted to be either tormenting people or they were like, hey, can we just bother these pigs? That's how evil these guys are. That's how evil demons are. But they'll make people act like animals if given the chance. This man was acting like an animal. And it seems Jesus allowed this, though, for them to go into the pigs. And he was showing his authority over the demons. Although he wasn't showing his full authority. We don't see Jesus' full authority here because that was shown at the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says... And you know being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which is the law, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And then it finishes by saying, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. See, he made a public showing here of their defeat. He showed his authority here. It was Jesus' work on the cross that showed total victory, complete victory. Hallelujah. The society didn't seem to care, though. They didn't seem to care. These people put the importance of pigs before the value of people. They came out when the guy went and told on them. He fled, went into the countries. 
to see what uh, had happened, to tell these people what he saw. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him that he depart from their region. They put more importance on pigs than the value of people, which seems to happen here in America as well. We put value on animals sometimes more than the value of people. What if Jesus came to us today and, and started caring about people? What if he went into the prisons and the hospitals and started caring for people? You know, he might be questioned about that. They'd be like, Jesus, on your way here, you drove over a road that had a worm that we're, we're protecting, the larva that absolutely has no purpose to this earth whatsoever. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about animals because I have a fluffy dog that doesn't like Josh Ingalls, by the way. And I have a cat, and I have a guinea pig, Mr. Nibbles, who I now get to clean his cage because my wife is very allergic to Mr. Nibbles, we found out. But he's a cute little guinea pig. You guys, anyone have a guinea pig? They squeak and they stink. But anyway, I, I don't not care about animals. But when you start caring about people, people start, others start to question it. Save the animals, but who cares about the babies seems to be what our culture says. You know, we have that care net. If we cared about people, CareNet might be out of business, which would be a good thing probably. You know, there's uh, in the CareNet, uh, I, I deliver mail, and they usually, uh, they let me use the facilities occasionally at CareNet. And then uh, Sue Costa will make fun of me, and I pretend like it hurts my feelings. That's, that's how I do it. If you make fun of me and, and I pretend like it hurts my feelings, that's, that's called manipulation, and I apologize. But anyway... <laughs> In, in the, the office there, they have a poster. It's a safe haven baby poster. And it's for people that when they, they have their babies and don't want them, they just drop them off at the hospital. And that rings true to me. Maybe some of you know my story, but that rings true to me and my family. But this kind of thing, if we cared about the people more maybe than the animals, these things wouldn't be. Uh, these people shouldn't have the pigs in the first place. This was a Jewish region. You know, the Jews realized there was Gentiles there as well. They realized, hey, we can make a little money selling the pigs to the Gentiles. But it was against the law for the, the, the Jews. The, the pigs were unclean animals, which I'm happy they're no longer unclean because once you had a little bit of barbecue, pulled pork sandwich, thank you very much. So I'm glad that in the New Testament that the pigs were on the sheet when they came down to Peter. Um, it's always comes back to food for me, huh? Sheesh. But they were unclean animals. But maybe it's why they were away from everybody up where this crazy guy was in the tombs and in the mountains. Maybe that's why they were up there. The people were hiding their sin. It's a secret sin. And we all have it. I told a story in the first service about Pastor Joe, and we have a meeting, and there's a new person there. He says the first thing we do, everyone shares their secret sin, and he looks at the new person. He said the new person goes first. The only thing that the only problem is when the new person starts telling the secret sin, and we're like, oh, no, no, just kidding, just kidding. But we all have it. But this seems like a two birds with one uh, stone scenario here. The man's delivered, the demon's going to the pigs to deal with that sin issue. But it's funny that society was so perverted that they were frightened by seeing this man in his right mind. It said they were afraid. That's how perverted they are in this culture, and even in our society today. We turn on the TV, we see all kinds of crazy people, and if there's not, uh, we're not watching, or, or it's kind of it's eerie if someone's in their right mind. They were familiar with the screaming and the cutting 
but not being normal and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Then Jesus gives this man direction. So we saw Jesus' word, we saw his authority, and now we see his charge or his commission in verses 18 and 19. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home now to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has, com- has had compassion on you. See, the man set free, the man whose name is the man who had been possessed with demons, is the name that he's given here, he begins to beg. He wanted to stay with Jesus. See, the true change of heart was shown in his desire to be with Jesus. It, we see the demons, they were begging, but they were begging for evil purposes because they weren't getting their way and they were begging Jesus because they're evil purposes. But this shows a true change of heart and his desire to be with Jesus because Jesus delivered him. But Jesus doesn't allow it. He's like, nope, not happening. Because he knew this man had a more important ministry to his family and to his community. He knew that this man was called to something different than following Jesus as one of his disciples. See, this man was going to be able to witness effectively to the ones that knew him before. These people that knew him as a crazy guy, screaming, yelling, running around, cutting himself, he was going to be able to go back and he was going to be able to witness to them. By the way, if you guys are into trivia, ask somebody, who was the first missionary called by Jesus? And some, some of the spiritual people, self-righteous people like myself, I would say, I believe it was the Apostle Paul. Or I'd say something else like that. And you, you would say, nope, it was the man whose name was the man that was possessed by demons. This is the first guy called to be a missionary by Jesus. And we're called to be witnesses. This is one who tells what, what they've seen. That's a witness. It's not to argue or persuade or to judge. And I know in here there are some Facebook junkies or whatever. And, and we love to argue and we love to try to persuade and Um, But a witness, a witness just shares. Now, there is a place to give a reason. There is a place to argue and dispute, as Paul said. But most of us aren't called to do this. We're not C.S. Lewis. We might think we're C.S. Lewis. We're like, oh, I'm going to get that person. You know, but um, we're not called to do this. We need to share what God has done for us and what God has done in us. And I like the example of the blind man that Jesus healed. After Jesus healed this guy, he's walking through the square, and the Pharisees are like, hey, who was that guy that healed you? What's going on? What's happening here? And he said, I don't know. Once I was blind, but now I see. What a great witness. Once I was blind, but now I see. Imagine doing that on on Facebook. People be like, what's the matter with you? I don't know. Once I was this, but now I'm saved and living for Jesus, and the Lord is working in my life. This wasn't the only reason Jesus said no, though. Because he said yes to the town people, and he said yes to the demons. But there are times when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want. Maybe some of us have prayers this morning that we've been praying for because we're wanting a certain thing. I told the story in the first service about my son. Uh, he'll, he's, all of a sudden, he likes to pray for dinner now. Before, he was a little shy, but he's getting into it. Like, and he'll start before we even sit down. He starts praying because he, like his father, is thinking about that first bite of food. And, but he's been praying for summertime for the past couple weeks. He's been, Lord, and I pray that it would be summer. And yesterday it was 50 degrees. And I said to him, dude, 
the Lord answered your prayer. It's summertime. There's snow out today, but you get a day of answered prayer. <laughs> but there are times when God doesn't answer our prayers, and we, we should rejoice in this, though, because to his own, he said no. To his own, he said no. See, he let the, the demons do whatever they wanted. He gave them permission, which guess what? They plunged off the cliff and into the sea. He let the town people have what they wanted, where they came out and they implored of him, can you please go? You know what they wanted? It was losing the presence of Jesus, and he gave that to them. And it seems hard to understand God's ways at times. We might be see, see people getting prayers answered, and maybe they're not living for the Lord, or maybe they're praying, and God's given, those, given them those things because he's either drawn away or they're going to plunge into the ocean, you know, but to his own, he might be saying no. See, the people of the city made a poor request. They made a request that was, it was a foolish request. But this man, he's making a godly request. You know, the Lord had delivered him, and he was wanting to go with Jesus. And Paul asked, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, asked about this thing he had in his flesh. It was a thorn in his flesh to be taken away. And Jesus said no to that. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure... By the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure, saying, lest I get really proud. Because the Bible says God sets himself against the proud but exalts the humble. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Jesus can say no, and that's just as much as an answer as yes. Maybe if he's saying no, he's saying my grace is sufficient for you. And he was saying that to this guy. He's like, no, you can't come with me because you're going to be a witness. This is many times what he tells those who follow him. We might be asking something from God and it isn't coming to pass. There might be a godly reason that we're asking for this. But God's not letting it come to pass because this man had a special job to do and it was to talk to his family and his friends. He was to go back to his communities and share, I once was blind, but now I see. But he was going to say, I once was demon-possessed, cutting myself, screaming, yelling, out of my mind, no self-control, but now I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. This man had a special job to do and he realized he had to do the work of his deliverer he realized that he had to do what God had called him to do. And it's probably because of this man that that church was known for having a huge impact. It's probably because this first missionary, whose name is the man who was possessed by demons, went back to his family and friends in his community and said, remember me? This man delivered me. Huge impact. It was probably because of this man being used by God. It seems that a no can be, at times, the most loving answer that God gives us. Because he knows what's best for us. Because that no could be for his kingdom, and it could be for his glory. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. See, Paul understood it. Paul got that no from God about the thorn in his flesh, but he said, for me to live is Christ. For me, when I get a no or a yes, I'm going to do it, because for me to live is Christ and what God has for my life. And he said, guess what? When I die, it's going to be gain. Because I'm following Jesus, I'm going to go to heaven. It was to do the Lord's will regardless of a yes or no.